Excited and anxious, I await my dream to escape, applaud, and embrace my team. Opening day, I always can trust. It's just for this high that I crazily lust. Return of our hero does brighten the days. Just briefly, my troubles get lost in the haze. The grace from the field arouses the crowd. Reflects on the days when I was quite proud. I'm more entranced than the average fan. I used to play, you see, and I know I still can. That time I drove the ball with such loft. My eggs at the top shoulders as they carried me off. This pastime and I just fade into one, expanded upon from father and son. My boy is young and awkward for now. I just need the time and can show him how. I really am quite close, just a break away from straightening things out and being okay. I can help my team to regain its glory with just a little twist to the same old story. Players say now they play for themselves. This causes a burning within me that dwells. The fan is the one who pays for the game, which bestows all the riches and welcome fame. The players will listen but really don't hear, all the while just hiding behind an invisible tear. I grow tired now of all this greed and chart a course to set things free. Ask how are my levels? Is that something? Is that yeah, something how, people, how are mine? How are, how are right. the levels good? Patrick? Yeah, levels. They seem fine. Yeah. Pants. Are mine good? A little hot, a little low. What's going on? You're great. You're all. You all sound good. Yeah. I know what. I know what that is. Patrick, would you say you were the Bernie to my Jewel Stern? If this was um, San Francisco Sports Talk Radio Show. Yes, I am. A, <laughs> I am the Kurt Fuller to your Ellen Barkin. Yes. Where, where are they? Are they breathing any more Kurt Fullers? Anymore? God, I miss Kurt Fullers. <laughs> I know. What a weird specific guy. Yeah, he's like the 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 James. We're losing those. We're losing James Rebhorns. There no. There are no more Rebhorns. We need to get. This is something Biden needs to get on. Brandon, if you're listening, I know you are. Dark start, Brandon, yeah. Dark Brandon, start breathing. <laughs> Semi to not so attractive character actors again. Do you like one of those blade prods, like underground, like, you know, you're making some sort of, instead of like vampires or lichens you're breeding, just breed some reb horns, like Rise yeah. of the Reb Horns. Deacon Frost is like, we don't know how long Bill Camp is going to last. He's our last <laughs> one. <laughs> the last of the reb horns. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to get killed by Wes Studi. Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Remian. Welcome to The Academy. And now do you care? Because I do. We're talking the fan again. <laughs> Again, how how on earth this is possible? And to oh. join us to talk about the fan again is perhaps the fan's number one fan, the man who oh. 
attempted a one-man wrecking crew. At the, someone, some have called them the Abby Hoffman of the Academy. Mm-hmm. Academy. Move over, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, move the hell over, Sasha move Baron Cohen. Yeah, get out of here, Bruno. Tried to torpedo the Wesley Snipes bracket, <laughs> voting for Major League in the first round, and then voting for the fan in the last round. <laughs> uh, filmmaker Andrew Saunderson is back on the show. Welcome back, Andrew. It's so good to have you talk about maybe one of the one of the films of our times. I'd like to start with a quote. If I can, oh, okay. I don't have entrance music this time because <laughs> I have a feeling Patrick might play this entrance music. <laughs> and just to quote the ending of this film, the song at the end of this mm. film, oh. "Fear is the enemy that strikes out our sanity." The- and there is a healing power <laughs> in letting go and loving the fan. All right, All <laughs> this right. movie rules. <laughs> Terrence Trent. Darby. <laughs> Terrence Trent Darby knew what he was talking about. It's amazing. No, no Atticus. I, I thought it was the same song from White Squall. The Stink song from White Squall for just a moment. Uh, it's like, <laughs> really, nope. Nope. That's our no. boy, Mr. Nails. Except it worked more in White Squall because White Squall's like, man, I remember what a hell of a White Squall that was. This one's like, yeah, we just had a knife bat fight in the rain on a baseball field. <laughs> What did we learn? Well, yeah, a man died on national television. What, a bunch. Was executed. A bunch. <laughs> One of the strangest things about this movie is the tone. And it's, it really starts with this song from yeah. Hans Zimmer, which really is a romantic ballad. Yeah. It, I, not meant, not, I mean, romance, not, 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 the, not the highest priority in this movie. Well, <laughs> I will argue it is kind of one of a kind, a baseball romantic thriller mm-hmm. that it is really a love story between Gil and Bobby. It's a one-sided, yeah. It's a one-sided yeah. love story. <laughs> well, it's yeah. like, and how much like love just makes you crazy. Am I right? I mean, Gil, mm. I see you have your too much tuna. Coffee mug. Speaking of gills, <laughs> I got my gill cup. Yeah. I was thinking about how good this movie would be if John Mulaney. Yeah, if it was George and Gill, <laughs> um, yeah. as these two roles. <laughs> Charm, damn sure, Bobby. <laughs> Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> oh my God! So we're of course talking about Tony Scott's The Fan from released August 16th, 1996. Oh boy, the Halcyon Days of Cinema, am I right? Mm-hmm. Um, the fan is available to rent through all streaming services. I rented it through Amazon. I don't know about you guys. Um, I rented it on Amazon. It is not on Disney Plus like Crimson Tide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, the tragic. fan is not tragic. Man. <laughs> just watched just watched a live recording of Hamilton. What's next? The fan. <laughs> yeah. Just finished episode two of WandaVision. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll put a little <laughs> fan in there. Um, I noticed the Blu-ray situation's kind of dire for the fan right now. It's um looks like only uh, imports or there is a... I almost bought it because I'm a, just a psychopath, but um, $8.99, <laughs> you can get a two-pack. The fan with the straight-to-video film The Contractor starring Wesley Snipes. The Snipes two-pack. Wow. So you could... Con- if you want your physical media, the fan, because I was looking for a commentary. I wanted to, I was genuinely I wanted to it. listen to a Tony Scott commentary track on this yeah. one. 
that is rude to the fan like the fan is like it's a movie it's a, it is a real movie like you can give it that it's not a like direct to dvd it, well, it's yeah. an incredibly real movie yeah it's a yeah, very, it's, yeah. it's a movie ass movie it, is it the the most movie ass of movies perhaps not well, but it's it's there when i was <laughs> when i was researching it I was just like, okay, I want to find a little bit of background, a little bit more background on it. And the first thing that I came across was Tony Scott being like, I said no to this twice. And I was like, okay, great. Okay, great. <laughs> great I don't know start. baseball. Great I don't know. <laughs> so that's a good good segue there because Tony Scott is coming off of arguably, I mean, I call it, I think, his greatest directorial effort thus far, Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide. Um, it's probably my favorite Tony Scott film. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, Andrew, actually, where where your Tony Scott rankings were. were, They're all so wonderful in their own ways, but Crimson Tide really does uh, kick ass. Yeah, it's like the perfect, it's like the platonic ideal of that type of film. Like, yeah, like if it's on TNT, you're watching it no matter what. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think Crimson Tide is probably my favorite. I love true romance mm-hmm. soft spot for true romance mm. um top gun you know yeah top of course gun was always great i love enemy of the state yeah. yeah well and so much of that is hackman having both double hackman and tony scott's yeah. filmography is great and like will smith at like riding a real high movie star wave you'll, simultaneously. You'll, t- I, you'll talk all about yeah enemy of the state. well my Pete favorite Smith. my favorite tony's still to come which is of course his final film unstoppable unstoppable yeah. which Ooh. we'll talk about it soon but man <laughs> unstoppable is a slapper and a half man they played it with uh speed recently down here at the new beverly and what a double feature we're talking about there of just like crowd pleasing action adventure movies. Yeah, but... he was so Denzel was in what was it? I believe he did five. Four four of his but he was in four of his last five, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he did Man on Fire, Deja Vu, Taking of Pelham One, Two, Three, and Unstoppable. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Crimson Tide would be five for yeah. the amount he did with him. And you know, that's something really to take into account, like you know, we're talking a bit about the casting on this movie, but Tony Scott, like, for as much as he is like a technical whiz bang filmmaker, actors mm. absolutely love the guy and want to keep working with him. They love he he clearly fosters like a fun outside of the last Boy Scout, which wasn't his fault, a fun environment for actors on set, like a fun, safe environment that um even revenge, which is so seedy. Everyone walked away like, oh, I like Tony, at least. <laughs> like, yeah, we had a good time. <laughs> he seems like a great hang. Yeah, he, he, well, I mean, just, yeah, everybody seemed to like him. And yeah. just a consummate pro and a fun, like, crazy man simultaneously, which is kind of what you want out of a good action director. Um, but this one, as Andrew alluded to, um, Tony did not necessarily want to do the fan. Initially, it was thrown his way, uh, said no twice. But as we've kind of learned, like Tony, he'll have these like real high peaks with a Simpson Bruckheimer collaboration. So mm-hmm. he's like, does the hunger, which is a, gets him noticed, but then he does the one two punch of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2. And then he's like, you know, how I'm going to follow up those two mega successes 
revenge and revenge bombs. So he goes back and does Days of Thunder. And Days of Thunder mm -hmm. is not like a gigantic hit, but Days of Thunder is definitely a big enough hit. Puts him back on track. But he follows that up with Last Boy Scout and True Romance. And then he does Crimson Tide. And it's like, so naturally, what is his next choice? To do a really cynical, nasty piece of like B-movie type thriller. It's kind of usually the um, usually the way things work for him. So the fan does kind of fit with his trajectory because, of course, his next film is Enemy of the State, a Jerry Bruckheimer production back home, you know, in the loving arms of Jerry, which we, you know, all like to live in. <laughs> I did yeah. read that um, that he actually had Enemy of the State already lined up though before the fan. Interesting, interesting. And, I I did not say, I did not know that one. Interesting. And that um, a big part of the fan, which I know you'll talk about, was just De Niro, mm -hmm. and that he used the fan to test out some of the stuff that he wanted to do on Enemy of the State. Oh which my god, I loved hearing. That's interesting. That's interesting. Like, I want faster cuts. I want like longer, like longer lenses. He's building to moving. He's building to his Tony Scott uh, peaks of like when he gets to like the dominoes and man on fires of the world. Yeah. The true, the truly psychedelic levels of Tony Scott. <laughs> that's a, that's actually you know the other movie that uh, Tony was offered right around this time, of course, was The Rock, mm. and he turned down The Rock to do to get away, kind of get out from the Simpson Bruckheimer house. And it's interesting. And we'll, we'll talk about this more in two weeks. But um, Tony Scott did learn that Don Simpson died while on the set of The Fan. Mm. And so there connects Tony, one of probably the key director of the early Simpson Bruckheimer era, you know, where he was when that when they're the first iteration of Simpson Bruckheimer came to a crashing halt uh but we'll talk about that in two weeks on our the rock episode which we're all looking forward to greatly uh but this week of course is the fan so tony agrees to do the fan the fan is based upon a novel by a guy named peter abrahams um mm. stephen king referred to him as my favorite american suspense novelist yet as i discovered the book the fan is out of print so I was not able to, I was going to try and squeeze in a read, but uh, hard to find. And I uh, actually, this uh, very Jennifer, morning. Uh, sorry, really quickly. Jenna entering the chat. Oh, oh, okay, folks. We got a curveball, a curveball baseball for you. <laughs> Our Academy Academy knife sales correspondent, Jen Saunderson, is joining the show for a brief interlude. <laughs> uh, here we go. Jen has entered the room. Jen has entered. Jen has entered the chat. <laughs> Bobby. <laughs> Bob. Uh, Jen told me when we were watching The Fan on Friday night, she had not seen The Fan before, that as we were watching Robert De Niro struggle as a knife salesperson, Gil Renard, that she once had sold knives and that his method kind of, well, Jen... What did you think of Gil Renard's sales skills as a nice salesperson, as our local expert? 
Okay, as the local expert, the <laughs> knife correspondent for Academy Academy, and many many podcasts, I have been the knife expert for. It's quite it's quite shocking. You did Pod Save America last week, if I'm not mistaken. Just mm-hmm. uh, just on yeah. knives, just yep. a, a little Patreon five minute <laughs> knife. It's for the upper echelon of Patreon. Um, you have you got to know your audience. You have options for your knives. You can go Cuisinart and be a little basic bitch buying mm. your cutlery like a cow at a Winco <laughs> or as an impulse item while you buy your pork rinds at a Vons. I'm painting a picture of who you are. <laughs> less, <laughs> less than human. <laughs> you Subhuman. Can and you can buy your Hinkles, an actual superior knife, but they are made, my friends, made in Solingen, Germany. And the way I see it, gents, I see y'all, and you're a couple of Yankees through and through. American made is what you are. American made. Support Uncle Sam, not the Kaiser. (laughs) Oh, no. So you would invite a 20-something true blue American kid to do a little knife demo from a vector marketing, a.k.a. a Cutco. What does it do? It cuts. What's it from? Who supplies it? A company, Cutco, all American, made in only New York, 70 days, sorry, 70 years. Our promise, not our promise. (laughs) (laughs) This is a serious demonstration. (laughs) Our promise, not going to bizarrely shave our legs in front of you during a a knife demo. That's the Cutco promise. And that's a doggone guarantee. Day one of training. It's uh, ladies, don't shave your legs and during a demo. Don't do it. Uh, we have serrated knives. It's not you're going to cut yourself and no one wants to buy knives from a bloody lady. So same goes for 57 year old men. Same goes. Same goes. Uh, they don't want to they don't want to buy uh, knives from bloody ladies. That's why Cutco also monitored our cycles. So seven days out of a week, Johnny could upsell me because uh, I was on the rag. But hey, I, I don't make up the rules. The good old boys at Only New York and Uncle Sam, <laughs> that's who make up the rules. God bless them. So you're <laughs> too far, Cutco. Come on now. <laughs> what are you going to do? If you're going to really sell knives, you don't shave yourself like you're like uh, Bojack Horseman. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know frontier men names. So, like, you're not going to do that. You're not just going to shave in front of it. That's not enticing. That says psycho guy on the corner. You you're going to be you're going to go Gallagher and you're going to get yourself some nice watermelon. R.I.P. Ooh, okay. Some nice watermelon. You're going to cut that up into some slices and you're going to blackmail these people into buying your goddamn knives. Because <laughs> you're going to sit there in their living room. And you're just going to make up a nice fruit salad and they're going to feel heavily obligated to give you a, your 20 something uh, true blue cut co rep some money because nobody nobody wants to like those kids aren't making a dime. Cutco doesn't pay. It's all wow. about it's all about you. You do it because you love the knives. You do it because you love knives. Well, I think I think Gil Renard. I don't think like I think he like I think he was a knife guy. I think he was a knife fan. I just think he's a fan because that's the name of the movie. Oh, and he's yeah. dedicated to the movie name. That's but it. That man 
That man doesn't know knives. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, knife correspondent, Jen Saunderson. Also, also big, big sales point. If you're, if you, if you're up there doing a knife demonstration for some guy looking at some uh, tatas on a camera, little pervo mm. Pete, you start mirroring him, my friend. You start getting down at his level. You start talking about cans to make <laughs> sales. You you mirror him, which is a which is a sales technique where you just start pretending and lying to them that you are the same person. The guy from Frasier is not firing you. Yeah, you don't mm. you don't say we don't have kayaks. You find kayaks. You go to somebody <laughs> in an alley and you find some GD kayaks. You go to REI. You jack up the price seventy percent, my friend, and you go. You want kayaks? You want to sell bras so that lady can try them on and you can have a camera in there because you're all about integrity and making sure people don't rip you off on bras. That's what you do. Be inventive. And you probably you take yourself short on knives. And you probably take opening day off. Yeah. To complete the sale. <laughs> Some jabroni tape. Losing our knife correspondent passion. Oh, no. <laughs> we, we lost you. We've lost you. Oh no. Thank you. Thank you, Jen, for dropping in for our correspondent. When we Uh, when we do a burnt when we do burnt in the Bradley Cooper bracket one day, we will have you back on. Well, I mean, we might have to do a full mini series on burnt if that day (laughs) if that day does come. (laughs) We can do an episode on when he sous vide his head. I love that moment in that movie. It's a good oh. classic cinema moment. Bradley Cooper Man. trying to sue me himself. Is his name in the movie like Joshua Burt? Is that like his character name? <laughs> Perhaps. Oh, my God. Well, you know, it kind of worked. It kind of no, worked. Like, it's Adam Jones. Oh, God. even better. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. Uh, I, was it? Uh, yeah. It's that like there's moments in it. It has flourishes that I love. Like the I had to shuck a million clams or whatever. Or oysters. I had to shuck a million oysters. And then oh, I can go back into working in the kitchen world. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, the fan. Yes. That was our knife correspondent. As you may have gotten, Robert De Niro plays Gil Renard, knife salesman. We'll explain further later, but Jen, an apt assessment, I would say, of Gil Renard's sales skills, which are not good, which are not strong. No. Anyway, you're leaving leaving hair all over the desk. Horrible. Horrible, man. There is a character thing that I like that comes out of it. And like particularly like his attention to craftsmanship mm-hmm. and to caring about the make and caring the, the craft and caring. Mm. Yeah. When it comes to when they're when they're on that beach and he said, you just stopped caring. That's who that's, mm-hmm. that's a bridge. That that's is a bridge cinema, too far. Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> Gil cares. Um, that's so, why I voted for him. <laughs> for uh, LA. The. the um, Gil, Gil Garcetti, the Gil Garcetti. Oh, no. Gil Garcetti, the leader of the prosecution team for the OJ case, <laughs> a famous win for the city. Yeah, epic win, epic, epic, win LA. The, epic, epic LA, LA win. win. <laughs> oh my god, okay, so, um. Peter Abrahams wrote the novel The Fan. It was picked up by a producer named Wendy Finnerman. Wendy Finnerman um, 
had a success just nary two years prior with one of her first big films as producer, a little film called Forrest Gump. Um, obviously, one of the massive successes of the era. She had a Best Picture trophy on her shelf already, and she was interested in the the, the fan. She went out and hired to write the script a screenwriter by the name of Fef Sutton. Now, Fef is Robert Christopher Sutton. Um, Listen to this. Fef, the first name he uses both personally and professionally, is pronounced Fief and was a childhood nickname given to him in infancy by his brothers. Wow. So Fief Sutton, not Fef. Fief. Um, Fief Sutton wrote for um, Bob Newhart on a couple of Bob Newhart sitcoms and also was a writer and executive producer on Cheers. Uh, yeah, I remember that episode so, when Norm murdered a baseball player on a rainy night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and continues to um, work in television mostly to this day. Uh, the interesting thing about FIFA is that basically they said... Um, well, I know I've done comedy my entire career, so it sounded like a fun challenge to write the fan. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I don't know why. I, I'm not sure why. Maybe they were friendly or whatever, him and Wendy Finnerman, but does not seem like, I mean, seems like a great professional writer, but does not necessarily seem like the um, first on the list choice to adapt a um, obsessive obsession thriller. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, he, he's back. He's already back on, like, he wrote, like, an episode of Kevin Can Wait. Like, he still does, like, yeah, sitcom he, stuff. Yeah, he wrote an episode of Rob, the Rob Schneider show. Oh, no. Like, um, you know, it's like, it was, yeah, did you not have Paul Schrader's phone number? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, like, it seems like a free, so if there's yeah. some other folks out there who, you know, a little more there wheelhouse mm-hmm. a bit more but regardless so fief wrote um the script sent it along and then was summarily um basically oh and it should be noted that reached out to baltimore Orioles shortstop iron man cal ripkin jr as his consultant in research from the start cal ripkin hung around this entire production nonstop and was the baseball consultant for everyone involved all the way through uh, good good post was this had he retired yet or was this in career andrew in 95 what, what year 95 94 95 i think he was still in the game i think he was still, still playing going. yeah yeah uh, my, uh, my favorite baseball player yeah and you i i'll never forget that um when uh cal ripkin uh, when we were at the kingdom as a kid and uh, he was he used to sign autographs for everybody. And um, Andrew loved him and was a big fan and raced down to the rail to get an autograph. Andrew surrounded by all of these like Gil Renard goblins, old men, oh, no. also <laughs> trying to get the autograph. So who, who does Cal zone in on to give the autograph? Clearly, Andrew. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like all these psychos are gonna sell the autographs around, and if this little kid is like, "I'm actually like like you." <laughs> yeah, you you don't appear to be like the baseball version of Smeagol. I'll uh, I'll give you I'll give you yeah. a baseball. <laughs> but very cool, very cool. And that I, he, I uh, looked did up that. at him and I said, "Can you make it out to the memory of Juan Primo, please?" Yeah. <laughs> oh no. He had a really bright future ahead of him. We'll get to it. Yeah. Um, so 
Fef or Fief. I don't know why I keep calling him Fef. I like Fef more than Fief. But um, Fief, um, you know, turning a script was uh, like, okay, cool. And then uh, discovered he had been fired almost immediately. Replaced by, interestingly enough, Frank Darabont replaced him. This was right after the Shawshank Redemption. Frank Darabont took this gig. Um, and then after he was replaced, Fief was brought back to do rewrites upon Darabont's work mm -hmm. and discovered um, it's kind of confusing because um, everything had completely changed from my version, but I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really... Kind of threw Terrapond under the bus in the book we're reading. He, like, yeah. not, 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 like, you know, he wasn't, like, horrible about it, but he was, like, yeah, I did what I could with what little I had left. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it seems so weird that Darabont, like, hosts sh just after Shawshank would do a, um, I mean, I know Shawshank was not initially successful at the box office, but it was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards and so forth. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems like, yeah, I'm doing my own stuff. I'm not doing like uncredited rewrites for this garbage. Like punch up on the fan. Punch up on the fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is like, yeah, this is like something like Shane Black would do after like a, a hard night of Baccarat or something. Yeah, like well, it's like, a, like Robert Town. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's well, it's the same deal. It's they probably just backed up a Brinks truck to his house and was like, "You want to work for two weeks?" And here's like a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> I like money. Yeah, I love money. Like uh, the Chris Walken in uh, King of New York. Um, <laughs> yeah, Frank Darabont, <laughs> a huge King of New York type guy. <laughs> He's a big. He's a... Oh man, there's what if Abel Ferrara directs this movie? There you go. Right, and then, the like, Willem, and then Willem Dafoe is the the fucking what? fan. Done. Yeah, Willem Dafoe plays Gil. Perfect. Ooh, Dafoe is Gil would be great. Yeah, yeah. He'd bring like a weird humanity to him. It'd be great. Like, yeah, like a drool. Yeah. Oh, you know, this is the first time you've been on the show, Anderson. So we, I think we we haven't talked about it real briefly. We freaking love Dog Eat Dog. Yeah, oh, that movie rules. Yeah. Oh, that movie, love, that movie yeah. was uh, <laughs> has a black heart. It is a mean, mean movie, but I love it for it. Yes. <laughs> Bo probably plays one of the most depraved characters ever. Glorious movie. It really is. The bad behavior on display is really high level. Um, anyway, but regardless, they went into it. They had two big, meaty starring roles in Gil Renard and Bobby Rayburn. The script went out, and of course, as we mentioned last week, because there are only 10 people in Hollywood, first on the list, Jack Nicholson. Jack flirted with it before ultimately passing on it. Second on the list, you guessed it, Al Pacino, because there are only 10 guys in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Third I, on the I, list, I, Dana Carvey. Yeah, I, well, I was like stunned like Dustin Hoffman's not next. <laughs> Just like kind of down the line. <laughs> Same exact dudes. Um, Al yeah. Pacino is considered. I, was that uh, Andrew? Oh, no, I was just thinking about your Crimson Tide casting. Mm hmm. Because the context of how many guys can play 
this you know the gill roll or the hackman yeah role exactly yeah. and who, who they're gonna go to and the one that stood out i was like i don't think even pacino could have like really held the in crimson tide i think you gotta i think you have to um i think pacino's too short yeah is that too have physically like yeah i think you need a guy who's as tall as denzel well, it's, yeah. I think or it's like it just like it's like a, it. he's like I always view Pacino as very slumped and like kind of like eh whatever like he just doesn't have that like you need like a straight spine guy. Well, I think it's like the the thought of Pacino making it that far in the military, which makes sense of a woman stick out as well. It's like I just don't see him like like putting up with this. He's a little too anti-establishment in a way. Yeah, <laughs> a little too bonkers. Yeah, he's little... Slade couldn't have made it that far. <laughs> Yeah, no. No, he's like he's juggling grenades. He can't yeah, do that. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta teach these boys a lesson. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, um, Brad Pitt was after another chance to work with Tony Scott, um, but uh, wanted to play Gil, and he was offered Bobby, and he got neither. I don't know what happened there. Uh, he would have been an interesting. I I think he would have worked in either. I think he would have been interesting in either of them, especially at this point in his career. This is like around the twelve monkeys stage of mm. Brad. So I think he could have played a lunatic pretty well. I think he's a little yeah. too chill at this point to to do it. But I I do like Gil being older and having like mm. kind of a different generation of how he relates to baseball and. <laughs> how much like life has worn on him yeah if life has worn on pretty young i mean pitt would just have to do the unhinged thing he'd have to get he'd have to ugly up a bit too i think he was too pretty it's like <laughs> things can't be that bad for you look at you yeah you're, <laughs> like, you know, you're the hottest man like yeah, you're like, like, Delman louise dude you can't your life can't be that pathetic you're not, you're not a loser dude <laughs> <laughs> you'd have no matter to, like, how have, weird your like, wig is He'd have to have like long, the the full long hair and like a like a glass eye or something like that or you know <laughs> right. you know yeah like a, we- a, a weird beard something like that yeah, um, like a pirate a pirate hook like yeah uh, script <laughs> just talks uh, like a pirate script eventually found its way though to Robert De Niro who jumped at the opportunity to play another complicated psychopath Larry T- Larry Taylor's words not mine. <laughs> yeah. Complicated. Yeah, I mean kinda, complicated. I guess, psycho- I well, know. I mean but another psycho. Um and we and obviously Robert De Niro kind of invented and defined it with Taxi Driver, but you know, King Comedy. The recent Cape Fear. Mexican, Down the line. Yeah. He done he he'd essayed this type of role a few other times um and but it was interesting because you know you watch this movie and there's part of me that was like oh robert de niro has kind of like begun his kind of like i'm just going to ease into i can do these parts kind of sleepwalk through these parts a bit and just kind of go through the motions this is only the year after casino and heat right so I was gonna bring that up. Like, <laughs> that's uh, casino heat the fan. Yeah. So Man. it's not like he's not he hasn't dipped. He's still like deeply in the game at this point in terms of banger movies. Yeah. Uh and you know, he did his like he went for it on this one. Like he 
went through the script in detail, interviewed police officers and stalking experts, researched serial killers, infamous celebrity stalkers, um, really like did the full De Niro what you'd you know got his taxi license kind of you have knife correspondence <laughs> knife salesman yes yeah he, also... he did interview a knife salesman you're absolutely right andrew i think i i thought i heard yeah that uh tony scott like they, they did like a casting call like and they just brought in like three knife salesmen for him to like talk to and yeah so there's no there's no difference in what he did here than say what he did on king of comedy um, which gets might get us back to the importance of screenplays. <laughs> but, um, you know, we'll talk about that soon enough. <laughs> um, another person who did want the role of Gil, though, was Wesley Snipes. Wanted mm. to, to play the role of Gil. And frankly, folks, I think he would have killed in the role. I think he like could have seen a little bit of his role in Demolition Man coming out yeah a little <laughs> bit of that like new jack city energy yeah exactly and it's interesting in larry taylor who we didn't have this book when we did the snipes season but like he um his description of snipes career to this point is very like concise and kind of like spot on almost snipes had amassed a mixed bag of great films iconic roles and flat forgettable action movies kind of does it in one sentence for yeah. every brilliant turn in new jack city or white men can't jumps he had forgettable police pot boilers like rising sun or boiling point absolutely all true and his um he around the similar time period um in 1995 of course or just prior to this money train was coming out his we remember Money Train. We watched it for the show, Patrick. Yeah. Train, hey, Train's coming. Train's train coming, is coming. Yeah, yeah. Train's coming, baby. Yeah. I, I still listen yeah. to that Shaggy song sometimes. I love that weird, song. A weird, weird movie. <laughs> Did yeah. not quite know what it was at all. <laughs> Robert Blake, uh, you know, reprising his role as the ominous man in Lost Highway. I, I can't get over, though, Chris Cooper's, like, guy with this. He's got, have you seen it in a while, Andrew? Not he's this Chris time. Cooper is briefly in it. He's this guy who's got this like tube that goes up his sleeve and he fires it into uh token takers booths and it's flammable liquid and he throws a match in there and that's his crime. He's very scary. It's like, a cool villain. gimmick. It's yeah. A, like, yeah, it's like a very like I've never seen this before. This guy and they're like, is this movie about stopping him? Well then yeah, they stop him like halfway through the movie, then they gotta rob this money train in a completely different story. <laughs> like it's like cause Woody Harrelson is gambling debts. And you're like, wait, what are you like if you just stuck with like crazy Chris yeah, Cooper? Villain. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, you have, like pretty good movie here. <laughs> like, you got you a great like villain. A, yeah, he's a crazy like that's all you need. He's like, yeah, he's the Gil Renard of that movie, and they drop him like at minute forty five. Like, yeah. He, you don't leave that on the. You gotta. You gotta eat that whole meal. Yeah, exactamundo. Yeah. I I think I haven't. I didn't watch Money Train since it came out. So since I was nine. Yeah. Well, oh, I, don't remember I think yeah, we we watched it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, the, the last the people poster, that I've watched. The... Yeah, it's, it's so familiar to me with him and Woody Harrelson. And Woody Harrelson's that hat. 
Yeah. Oh man. Woody Harrelson has worst dress. So insane. Yeah, he's he he's dressed like a, he's got like six coats and he's at the face where he hadn't quite he hadn't quite given up on his hair. So he went with a mullet in the back, but his hairline is at it's probably the weakest stage before he like kind of gave in to being a balding man. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of like he has done like... him wonders. He's got a great career. Obviously, Woody Harrelson had one of the great careers. He so... looks great for his age. Like he's like in his sixties, right? Yeah, he looks yeah. phenomenal for his age. Yeah, yeah, he shouldn't be wearing. He's yeah, he has the strapping young lad haircut. Like yeah. the lead singer of that Canadian metal band. It's yeah, it's not yeah, the it's feeling. Like, I still like I'm still metal guy, man. I still got long hair. Do mm. you? Do you really? <laughs> Come on, Woody. Come on, Woody. Uh interesting. Fief Sutton in his script envisioned Denzel Washington for the part of Bobby Rayburn and Johnny Depp for the part of Gil Renard. So um and in nineteen 19- 95? Eh, why not? I I just can't picture Gil Young. I like Gil Young. I guess we could talk about that. The guy I kept kept thinking was Philip Seymour Hoffman to Mm. play Gil. I thought (laughs) would have been really good. (laughs) Like his Mission Impossible character? No, no, like Scotty in um, Boogie Nights. (laughs) Do you mean... (laughs) So sad. <laughs> oh, do you... oh, actually, you're right, Andrew. That is actually would be really cool if he played right. o- Owen Davian was his yeah, name. Yeah, Mission like Impossible Owen 3. Davian. Yeah, Owen Davian. He's you're awesome right. in Mission Impossible Three. Have you you're seen that lately? Fielder. Center fielder, right? You're center fielder. You have, you have a son. You have a son. <laughs> a son, right? He's a dog, Bradley. I understand. I heard on the radio show, you're a forty million dollar man. <laughs> like one of those great roles where like just uh doesn't really do a lot but what he does it where it's perfect it's just the right amount of philip seymour that's all you need you uh, know in a, like a like a lower key fashion who would be fun as gil would have been Kiefer sutherland he would have actually been very fun too great idea <laughs> the one i thought though andrew if it went young and went in the same movie was um wesley snipes as gil and then move Benicio del Toro over to play Bobby, and just give him a bigger role. <laughs> like basically, he's, he's so good in them. Like he's there's so he little of him, yet he's so good. Well, every choice he made, like that outfit he wears in the bar scene with like the Hawaiian shirt with like a turtleneck underneath or something like that. It's like, yeah, you chose this, and it's awesome. <laughs> it, it, just his one little scene with De Niro is incredible in the sauna. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. It is like slow, like, you know, protracted uh, as the life is dripping out of him. That takes so long and nobody and does anything. very red. <laughs> yes. He's like, he's so like, just that. like those stories on usual suspects of like him, like not liking the script or his lines. So his choice was just to be an audible with them. And that just got everybody like laughing their asses off. They're like, yeah, I just go with that. Nobody understands what you say. <laughs> And it's like that part where they're in the um the lineup and they're all like like um Gabriel Burns got his hands over his face like this because Yusuf Tatora was like talking shit in that voice and they couldn't keep they like couldn't keep their like straight basically and they're like I would just keep it that's pretty good <laughs> dude is the dude is like such a good actor he's incredible oh, he, yeah he, he and he's just like a specific like no one else is like him no. No, and, you know, and Tony Scott, I mean, say what you will about this movie, but, like, again, he is so good at casting. 
and like every part is like filled with a fun person in this movie. I mean, I love Leguizamo's performance on this watch. Yeah. God, he's just great. He's a guy who's good at his job and he cares about Bobby and he's just, he holds that line. My only real question is, is Bobby his only client? Yeah. Yeah. I, guess. <laughs> I wonder he has I wonder he has a crush on Ellen Barkin's character. That might be the other. Yeah. Well, that might be the romance. We were talking about mm-hmm. is Ellen Barkin and um like Wasamo. Oh, I have a better one, I think. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> well, I was convinced after I watched this, I was like, oh, they went home from that hotel bar and hooked up. Oh yeah, yeah. There's that too. Yeah, I think I so was like, as well. I met Bobby and her, and I was like, you know what would have been nice? A little thing between her and him to earn her performance in the rain shower that's what jen was saying she's like when she because she was watching kind of like half on a computer but she was like looking up and she was like the hell does the radio lady care so much right about all this like we've missed something we've missed some emotional beat and and she's kind of an audience surrogate at that Mm -hmm. point like she's supposed to be like you know i mean it it takes such a turn when she says the trailer line that I always remember from the trailer. Um, hold on. <laughs> I want to get it right. <laughs> but I just remember this tra- uh, This time I was like, oh my God, the trailer when I was a kid. Yeah. When she goes, this guy's going to kill Bobby's kid if you don't find him in nine innings. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. Like... <laughs> I was like, the trailer was actually really well cut because it of course ends with the De Niro, Natty again, like at the end of the trailer. Yeah, and, the, and, and him yelling, what do you want from me in the rain? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it was like, it definitely made the film. Like, I, it's a surprise the movie did so poorly at the box office because the trailer was like, Seemed fun and exciting, and maybe people just felt they had already seen seven. Who's to say? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but so uh, De Niro, Snipes, Benicio de Toro, John Leguizamo, Ellen Barkin, um, Patty Darvinville as Gil's ex wife, who seems to be living at an 11 at all times. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Charles Hallahan, the thing. Of course, as mm, Coop, Coop, as the legendary Coop, um, Chris Mulkey as Tim, Richie's stepfather, <laughs> dad, uh, Kurt Fuller, the great Kurt Fuller, uh, Jack Black shows up as a radio technician again, showing the wonderful casting of Tony Scott. Jack Black, spoiler, does return in Enemy of Enemy of the State. <laughs> so Tony saw something he liked in him. Uh, our friend and you know, great guy. MC Gainey shows up for one single scene to yell at Gil. And he, and I love that character. Aw- he's awesome in it. And it rules that everyone's like, yeah, he told them both up. Yeah, it's awesome. And then um, professional ball player John Cruck as mm-hmm. Lands, one of Rayburn's teammates. I didn't notice it. Didn't notice John Cruck is at the strip club too with uh, oh, yeah. Primo to break up the fight, which I loved. So Andrew, I tease something very, very funny. Tony Scott did not know anything about baseball prior to this. He was far more interested in the stalker obsession mm-hmm. portion of baseball seemed like a fun visual backdrop, <laughs> essentially. But he hired Cal Ripken and he um, brought in Chicago White Sox at the time, but probably most famously member of the Philadelphia Phillies, first baseman John Cruck. John Cruck is like an all-time Hall of Fame, whatever happened to guys who look terribly out of shape, 
who are also professional athletes. Athlete. <laughs> An just, athlete that could also be your uncle. <laughs> just reminiscing with a friend about this while watching the Mariners. So we were both like, what happened with the fat guy that each team used to have? Like That was like well, a glory of baseball. <laughs> he's like, you know, the conversation of where the Gene Hackmans. Yeah, exactly. Where, like, where are the guys? Who, like, like, where are the John Crux? Yeah. I was like, guys who look like they watch baseball for a living. Not um, play it. Not play it. Yeah. yeah. And that was like, we were watching, like, every guy here is like 6'6 six, six, and like spelt as hell and like looks like a missile. Like, we're, we're the guys who are like, drink beer clearly after every single game. <laughs> John Boggs. Yeah, Wade Boggs, John Crook, heroes of the game. So, John Crook was suspicious of Tony Scott's baseball acumen from the jump. Mm. Scott encouraged them to curse a lot for authenticity purposes. Who knows? Andrew? Would, as a guy who's been in some baseball locker rooms, is that... That I don't seems know. authentic. Seems just like a safe, safe semi-safe safe assumption. Just go, just <laughs> wear a lot. People sure. do be swearing. Yeah. People do be uh, swearing. Tony Scott, though, said when he was putting the actors to their positions on the field, this is what I thought you'd laugh at, Andrew. He told John Crock to play shortstop. <laughs> John Crock was like, uh... Okay. <laughs> John Crock, a lefty, a large man. I think one of the, the some would argue the most, most athletic most one of the most athletic and important positions on the field. <laughs> and John was like Okay. <laughs> so I like that he was a team player. Uh, he went along with it, and most of his stuff, though, ended up on the cutting room floor. Uh, so baseball stuff here. Get into it. Um, one of the big people, kind of critics, some of the people who worked on the movie, they kind of feel the fatal flaw was Tony Scott seemingly not caring whatsoever and having no real knowledge of baseball going into this movie. Mm. I think it depends on how important, like, I think what he doesn't have knowledge of is fandom. Weirdly, when it comes to the title of this movie. Yeah, I I don't mind bad baseball in movies necessarily, or like, you know, like, it all depends on what's going on in the story. And Mm -hmm. Don, you and I were already talking about potentially the fatal flaw of this movie when it comes to that is, is... Gil a fan of the Giants or is he a fan of Bobby Rayburn? Yeah. And it seems to shift as the movie progresses. Yeah, he sort of seems to latch on to Bobby over time. Uh I think he like I think he gets like the pageantry of it at least. Like I really liked like all the scenes in like the in the stadium and like the epicness of the sport and all that uh Michigas. I think he like understood he understands that aspect of the game at the very least. I think yeah, I think he understands the visual aspect of the game, but I'm not sure if he understands like why anyone would like it. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think he actually like put in that kind of like effort. Like it's interchangeable with like liking like having an obsession with a supermodel or right, something like thinking, that. I was thinking about like with Last Boy Scout, like it's almost like a similar thing, right? Like I feel like it's not like that movie. I mean, no, you know what? Actually, in Last Boy Scout, there's some good football moments in it. But Last Boy Scout also opens with a guy like breaking a bunch of tackles, then turning a gun 
on his teammates and everyone else on the field that he was carrying while breaking tackles and then yeah. saying, ain't life a bitch and shooting himself in the head on the field. So, That's <laughs> And it ends with David Wayne's riding a horse to throw a football to stop an assassin bullet. Oh. So... It's a masterpiece. Wow. This way, it's like, oh, like, yeah, no, that's... <laughs> move over, Cundin, eat shit. There is, is like, a, yeah, there is yeah, an element that... where you want even more of that go for broke insanity and bad behavior in this movie. Because this is mm-hmm. supposed to be so grounded. Like, and, Wesley, yeah. and, and we talked about it when we reviewed it before, but, like, Wesley Snipes playing it mostly... Like on an everyday, I love my son. I'm trying my best at baseball. I've got an ego, but man, I gotta say this this time watching it, I was like, his performance is great in this movie. He's <laughs> really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> he's really the first thirty minutes are like he's great. Like when he gets oh to like God. actually have like emotion and like he's bantering with John Leguizamo. That mm-hmm. one moment where he like is so reticent about talking to the kid with cancer. <laughs> <laughs> they they also get they also get in a fight about how bad the kid's cancer was, which is really funny. You didn't tell me it was that bad. <laughs> like, it's like it's weirding me out. It's weirding me out, man. I got a son. He, he does this. He does this physical thing when the guy who I thought was Coop for a second, the first guy that Bobby meets in the Giants organization, mm-hmm. he, he walks in. I thought it was Coop. I was like, wait, is Coop actually like? I, like they they reuse him. But uh, he's the guy who says to Bobby that um, he's like, well, you know, 33, it's uh, 11 times three. So you're going to do three times as good. And then he does this physical thing where he's like, talk to you, talk to this guy, talk to this guy over here that that like it's an incredible physical move that I, I think was like, I there's don't know where a, that came from. there's a battle and how big of an asshole. They want to portray Bobby as before things go wrong for Bobby, and we're supposed to be 100% on Bobby's side at the end of the movie. And it's like, right. if he's too big of a prick, it's like, we're kind of almost rooting for Gil. <laughs> Just like, that's like the thing, thing or too. Two. Is, there are moments in the movie too where it feels like they want you to root for Gil. Like they have him like save the kid. Like his when wife, he dies. His wife, his wife sucks. His wife is mean oh, to man. him. If I would. I was thinking about it. If you do nothing about this movie, if you didn't know who was in it, you have no idea what it was about or the genre, you go, the fan, right? It opens up and it's that romantic music of baseball and it's Gil, you know, getting shit on as a knife salesman, (laughs) rooting for the Giants. It's like, you think this is like, I don't know, some weird love story and you're absolutely rooting for Gil. You're a little bummed beginning. that things aren't yeah. going well for him and not because his boss is a slimy asshole. Oh, and right. his boss is a nut. Like he brings yeah. out a... treats him like shit. You know, I said it last time when he's talking to his son. I mean, things take a turn when he's at the game with his son. <laughs> yeah, quickly. But <laughs> yeah, like he's, like, he's such an asshole to his son. It is yeah, so it's a little like, intense. Well, he's like um Jack Nicholson to Danny at the beginning of The Shining. It's like yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> yeah. Quick turn, and but I do I love that line where it's like baseball's better than life. It's fair. <laughs> yeah. They, but like, they, that feels like the movie at first where you're yeah. just like, oh, yeah, he's getting like screwed over by life. No, he feels like Joaquin Phoenix in The Joker. It's like that level of just like the well, cosmically he is hated. But that mm-hmm. gets to a thing like Bobby, like Bobby saying 
I just stopped caring isn't enough for Gil's final turn. It, mm. Bobby needs to do something personally to rub Gil the wrong way, I think, gets this movie to the next level. Like, oh. where he feels like he has a vendetta against him. But all he's kind of doing is Bobby goes into a slump and Gil's like, no, I'm going to stay loyal to the guy who I think is going to save the day. And if that I'm, that's upsets me so much that people are doubting Bobby that I'm going to start killing people. I also yeah. think that the scene with the number where Bobby goes to the strip club and confronts Benicio and Gil's in the bathroom should have been moved to the first act of the movie. And Gil witnesses that really, really early on. Yeah. So it's planted in our heads. And the tension between uh, Primo and Bobby is really, really established at the jump at the, at the top of the movie. Well, I, I also wonder about an alternate universe where uh, where Bobby doesn't give Gil the talk to the hand at the strip club. <laughs> well, yeah, and if they'd done that early on, then Gil would have been like, I thought, I thought, Right. I love Bob. But you do the scene where he talks to him on the phone and Bobby like glad hands him a bit. So he thinks that they're buddies. Right. And then he's really rude to him. He's like, I thought we were friends. I thought we were on the same page. I rooted for you, Bobby. You know, <laughs> not have, but the weird like life saving scene. <laughs> Although the you, you, him putting on Bobby's uniform is so gross and uncomfortable, that was worthwhile. <laughs> the sheer <laughs> insanity. His story falls apart so fast, though, when he's like, if Curly is actually Curly's story. (laughs) Yeah, the the script is in a weird place when I remember, like, they get back to the house and um, his, uh, you know, Bobby or Bobby's like um, staff at the house. Her name is Elvira. And, And she said, She's like, El- Elvira, get Curly a drink. And I was like, what movie are we in now? Why is this a line in this movie? Even if he saves his life, though, it's like, are you going to like invite this guy to play pool? Like, just call the cops and like thank him and give him a hundred bucks. I'll take a walk. Like, I don't know. You're a celebrity. Celebrities don't do that. Well, and then at first he says, oh, I don't really... Yeah, I don't really know much about baseball. I don't really watch much baseball. Oh, but my dad, Bobby knows who, like Curly, whoever. And he's yeah. like, yeah, that was my old man. I spent some time in the bigs as well. And he was like, wait, you're, you're in the majors? It's like. So weird. That should have fall. That fell apart. You're right. So like, And I think Patrick, you texted me last night that like the, that scene onward, things get just a little frantic. It's just muddled. Yeah, it's very <laughs> insane. It's like, yeah, when he started, when he takes, well, it's just, there's like a well, point in the movie. That, that, it goes from that sequence to kidnapping the son to the coop sequence. Yeah. What, what are all the police like asleep? Like, what is fucking, like the fact that like no one's hunting him for Primo. Like he gets away, he just kills like a, a celebrity. He gets away with it. So, Not only kills a celebrity, wait, cuts off his like. We, t- we talked about it though the last time around. Like, if somebody who is at the status of Juan Primo is murdered in sports, in any sport in the United States, he's the biggest story in the country. It's nuts. And the Giants are canceling games after right. that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this and dude definitely... isn't, like, isn't a mastermind. He's not Lex Luthor. He, you know what? Bothered me on this one too. It's like, they wouldn't they also wouldn't blame bobby 
Like, like the whole team is. No, they have the team turns on. Like the team turns the team... on Bobby. Yeah, like that he murdered Primo. It's like no, this is just a national tragedy. Like, let's not blame Bobby Rayburn. No, it, no, Tony Scott like does not understand team sports <laughs> at all. Was this like? Is this like a British thing? Is this what would happen if David Beckham was murdered? Yeah, that maybe that maybe translate for this, him. I mean, in a traditional sports movie, this is the Jake Taylor line in Major League. It's like, well, there's only one thing left to do: win the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Now that Juan Primo died, we're gonna win the championship. Win it for Juan Primo. Win it for Primo. That's yeah, what team sports are like. Bobby Rayburn would give up the eleven. He'd be like for him or whatever. Yeah, it's Juan Primo's number. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, and not be like kind of like pissed off that he has to wear a tribute to the guy who got killed in a sauna the other thing too so the hotel that won oh, yeah, Kruk is the one who goes we're all number 11 now like he's all pissed so, he's no, like, I know yeah, Kruk gives him that look gives him that line and the funny thing is it, like Kruk had made his name as being kind of an idiosyncratic guy who like had a sense of humor for being a why not give him some jokes yeah he is a like, taciturn man in this film. Yeah, he is. And then they kill him. Yeah. Like, I'm still so bummed. And they're so like, he's cold. dead on the mound. And they're still, like, dancing around in that final sequence. And Crux dead in the rain, like, face down in a puddle. It's like, I would never watch. I, if I saw that and, like, ha- like the baby and I were watching baseball and I'm trying to show her, like, oh, baseball. Oh. What a wonderful sport. We watch this. I'm like, yeah, we're never watching baseball again. That was we the most talk- traumatic thing. We ever. talked about no, this that's last like- time. <laughs> Just yeah, no, it's on par with 9 11. This whole thing, putting it on the Jumbotron is the most insane choice from a broadcasting standpoint. It's like, let's get a close up of this lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> the closest thing the real world has to a supervillain. And, and by this point, De Niro is like leaned in utterly and completely. Although, there is like a CDB movie joy to him revealing himself as the catcher. That really is very fun. Oh, that's great. That's fun. But I was going to say, though, so he kills Primo. He's going through this crowded-ass hotel. He wore a suit into the sauna, so he's coming out. Sweating. Blood patches with this completely soaked suit. And nobody's <laughs> like, yeah, we saw a weird <laughs> guy. Go. Anything strange that night? You see anyone? Yeah. <laughs> it was in the lobby. It was a little weird. Yeah, the guy. <laughs> this guy in the yeah. soaking wet suit. The knife guy. Yeah, <laughs> was... yeah, the weirdest man. And the pool area was crowded. So it's like, oh, I guess okay. You're yeah, at a, pool. a lot of people around. You're at a pool at the hotel. You're hanging out, having a swim. You're on vacay, vacay or something. You look over, and a guy strolls into the sauna with a suit and a suitcase suit. and a flooded briefcase. You're like, that's weird. <laughs> that would, that would stick yeah, out. That's memorable. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So the fan is um last week on the show we talked about how crimson tide has a really really tight and stellar screenplay that builds upon tension in scenes working with scenes action scenes on top of action scenes the fan is a like crazed mismatch mishmash of the stalker genre we've seen it in many many films um and I think Tony was trying for something different, but I think like it kind of goes to show with both he and Ridley that like because they are not screenwriters themselves, the script, a really top-notch tight script is 
very, very helpful to these two gentlemen. Necessary. Like the difference between um, Thelma and Louise and White Squall. Um, you know, leagues. Yeah. <laughs> there's that difference between Crimson Tide and the fan. Everyone's going for it. I mean, like, I don't, th- I think both of you are a little bit easier on De Niro than I am. In this one, I like the idea of a younger actor. I think it's weird that he has a seven-year-old son. <laughs> like, that is, yeah. I want to. Um, what's the story there? And his wife is like his age. It seems like is the kid adopted. I don't know. Like, it's a little weird. I would have liked to see like um, but at the same time, I don't know who's like, who's gonna do the turn that Gil has to do, as written, in any yeah. different way, than go mm-hmm. full tilt psycho by the end of it um there's ups and downs like i i really think like i like the pitch that i had of um gil and bobby grew up together they played little league together they gil was the hero of like their little league team when they were eight but then bobby emerged as a great player moved up and gil still thinks they're buddies when bobby signs with the hometown team bobby gives gil the cold shoulder which drives Gil completely crazy because he thinks they are like equals in status. And that drives Gil nuts. And they're the same age. That would be my pitch for the fan part two or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) The the reimagining. The the reboot of the fan, a movie that demands a reboot. But Mm -hmm. this movie's been done a million times. I mean, King of Comedy, the Patton Oswalt. um, Right. Right. Big fan, uh, Celtic Pride, of course. Celtic Damon Wayans, uh, yeah. Dan Aykroyd. Uh, there was a movie I just watched called The Fan with Lauren Bacall and Michael Bean from the early 80s in which Michael Bean is stalking Lauren Bacall, famous Broadway actress. Um, there, Paparazzi uh, with Cole Hauser. Uh, yeah, Yellowstone's Cole Hauser. <laughs> son of Wings. <laughs> son of our beloved Wings. <laughs> what? I did not know that. You didn't know that? Oh, yeah. Cole Hauser is Wings Hauser's son. Ah, God. Even he's a nepotism. I know. Oh, even, I know him, even him. Yeah. Stealing Wings. Stealing, Stealing Wings is glory. Yeah. yeah. Wings he, is glory. You know, you know, Cole went into that uh, Goodwill hunting room. You know who my father is? Wings. wings. Have you seen Vice Squad? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Give me this job. I, I like your pitch, John. It's a totally different movie, I think, but. I like the idea of it, of like I, two people, two guys who are like the same age and they're competitive, you know, and one one guy gets a bad break, one of them gets a great mm-hmm. break and how they drive change. Because I think like, so we were talking a little bit about Cape Fear, Scorsese's Cape Fear, and with De Niro playing another lunatic <laughs> stalker, essentially. Think, here's the deal. The, but the great part is, is Nick Nolte did screw him over. Yeah. And that's why it's, so it's like he has a legitimate gripe with Nick Nolte that he takes too far, of course, but he has a legitimate initial gripe with Nick Nolte, which leads to interesting moral questions about your leading mm-hmm. characters as you watch it. And he has no real gripe with Bobby. Yeah. Like outside of like Bobby wasn't grateful that he killed one primo. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know it's like. I'm just thinking about it now. I don't know if it is makes total sense, but like I think realistically it would be like Bobby shows up in that first play they get in they crash him and Primo 
Primo goes out for the season and then Bobby sucks and then the Giants tank. Mm -hmm. So Gil is pissed. At, yeah, at Bobby. But the and fact he... that Primo steps up and the Giants seem to be winning I is know. so odd. When Bobby goes into a slump and like Primo's like, and Bobby is like of the he like I moved here with the Giants. I've been a Giant my entire life. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, 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 what Bobby are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, Bobby <laughs> Thompson. <laughs> no, Bobby De Niro. <laughs> it, yeah, I think that there's just um like the yeah the fatal flaw is like Gil's motivation, yeah. I guess like and yeah. needing in a movie like this, which is kind of like a genre thriller, like a more of straight line like revenge or get even or i'm something um i got someone committed a perceived crime against me or whatever you know you feel bad mm -hmm. for it. yeah you're right patrick it's like the beginning of the joker movie it's like he's getting beat up all the time it's, just, and it's like you're just kind of just... bummed about it all He's like the universe is punching bag for like the first 45 minutes. Like, yeah, he has like an insane boss that like pulls out like half of a fucking car uh, door as he uses an example to like stab his knife with. Because like, yeah, he's surrounded by lunatics, too. His world is like insane. But it's uh, like a Tony Scott. It's a Tony Scott world. I mean, like I that entire scene, like Tony Scott, any room that he could throw up some blinds. Oh, and man. can have a sunset going on behind those blinds or one a rainstorm. My, Take your one pick. Of, <laughs> yeah. One of my one of my notes, like instantaneously, I was like, "Man, how good do these movies look?" Yeah, and like, we have to give huge credit to Darius Wolski, cinematographer, on here. Uh, second yeah. collaboration with Tony Scott, as we mentioned before. He's like a Scott brother regular. He is Ridley's guy at this point. Yeah, I mean. I mean, apparently he was like Tony Scott was like friends with like the was it like the head of the S Santa Fe or San not Santa Fe San Francisco Police Department at the time, and he was able to like close like significant portions of like highway, and because of like you know he would want to close them at peak hours because that's when he would get the best light or whatever, yeah. and he, like they would get into like fights and like he truly had the ire of the San Francisco Police Department. That opening sequence though where gill is on the his car phone with the rolling stones in the background it is like you can almost eat it it looks it's so tasty it's the way so, the sun it's looks. Gorgeous. it looks <laughs> like so it looks like the the las vegas scenes in blade runner 2049 yes. it is insane yeah. how like style like i'm half expecting a hologram of elvis to appear out of nowhere like <laughs> it's incredible though i say that as a compliment it rules yeah it, it's a gorgeous movie I, I, as with everything with Tony Scott, I mean, the production value and everything like that is like through the roof. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> that that opener is just so strong. And it's like you when you have all that cross cutting and then also the camera is doing like 360s around Barkin and, you know. You're yeah, like, well, he, he, so the way he shoots De Niro's van, the Hummer. That Leguizamo like, and um, doesn't it catch him? In? Like they like the car's coming and then it like catches into the window. Yeah, I don't it, even know how. The, they yeah, do you're that. right. And the entire the editing of the entire opening sequence and the radio show at the same time is like oh. phenomenal. 
<laughs> it's yeah. really it's like, if, if the movie had that same energy for the entire like it'd be one of his greats like because like that first half hour like i texted don in that first half hour I was like i really like it this time around like i'm really well, like <laughs> i think that that's the bottom line though i liked it more this time than last time still oh, for sure even yeah. after all these gripes i enjoyed yeah. it every, more. <laughs> and it's every like, viewing gets better i'm telling you it's like wine it's just you know you need to let it age more well i think that that's like the bottom line with tony scott though is like he's incapable of not making a fun movie it might not be a, like yeah lo- think, logical or any well, of that at times key. that it was my big takeaway from this viewing is that it's like don't try to get anything else out of the fan it is a straight movie mm-hmm. straight blockbuster like a movie ass movie let's enjoy it like it will be entertaining that's all he wanted to do yeah just yeah and fun. that was that was kind of his entire like, thing you know, his entire career like the one thing we love about tony scott is he's like i'm never gonna like make a you know i don't He's not preaching o- at you. Oscar-y, an Oscar-y movie. He doesn't care. Like, he no. just wants to, like, I like fast cars. I like good-looking people. I like entertaining stories. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, why not? Like, he is a th- he's the thinking man's Michael Bay. That, yeah. That's why when yeah. the time came, when Bruckheimer essentially replaced him with Michael Bay, as we're getting, we'll get into in a few episodes here, it's like, Michael Bay was like the even more streamlined version of the Scott brothers, you know, to come. And that's why I think Tony would have killed, killed it on the rock. He would have gotten it completely. It would have um, been just as good as it is. If maybe even better. Hey, Don, slow your roll. Easy. How is it? How is it? It's not going to get better. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Easy there, buddy. Easy there, buddy. <laughs> Whoa! I was getting paid <laughs> off by getting paid off by the Scott family to uh, <laughs> to suggest that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, we did. You know, oh, we go were talking about. Well, I was like, the only thing that was like, I was hearing, um, you know, Tony Scott talk about it was that this idea of someone who is, you know, the world's beating them down, and really all they want at the end of the day is recognition mm-hmm. they want some you know some sort of spotlight on them and it's like yes i get <laughs> i get that the, the film takes that arc it just doesn't really earn that arc the intention of that is interesting yeah like they're like and i think that if he didn't go so crazy like that, yeah. That, Again, like you have to kind of like, as weird as it gets with these characters, be able to like. It's such a difficult line, like with with like a crazy murderous person to try and also find like an understanding mm-hmm. with them. Like, yeah. Humanity. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you take it too far, and you're like, oh wait, am I sympathizing with this creepo? That's I mean, that doesn't feel good either. When, when <laughs> like, he dies at the end of the movie, the music is so sad. Like it's, it's so like, romantic. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like it's like we lost a hero. Like Gil. Gil no, died. I mean what? You know, we lost it's a lot of good men romance. out there. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Croc. Gil. also, yeah. it's like the end of the movie. We cut to his lair for I the first cold. time, <laughs> and 
the ultimate capper on the lack of giving a shit about baseball <laughs> is on that headline. I don't know if you read the headline. No, I didn't read that. What did it oh, say? No. It says, local son hoisted after home run. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, he'll have set himself up as ever... a pitcher. He should have. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> after no hitter, a... hoisted after no after hitter. No hitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, he, and local son. You're just like, all right. Tony, what's the, the difference? What is, the difference? Is weird. What, is, what is the difference between a pitcher and a shortstop. I don't know, mate. <laughs> Take both of a cigar. <laughs> Let's keep shooting this movie. We got a knife fight to shoot. <laughs> Here's my answer. Blows smoking face. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, and we should uh, note, um, music again, as it has been for almost every single movie we've watched over the last 12 weeks or so. Music by Hans Zimmer. Of course. On this what one. One of my favorite ones that I noted, I and I couldn't, I don't think I could point it out last time we talked about it, but when, um, when Bobby realizes that his necklace is gone, mm-hmm. that he's dropped his necklace, he doesn't have it anymore. Do you recognize what that cue, where that cue is also used? No, I don't. I don't remember that. What 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 was that from? <laughs> it's the um, Steve Buscemi cue in Con Air. Oh jeez. <laughs> As the. Uh, well, I forget his, his character name in Connor. Everyone's that, like, favorite murderer. Garland, Garland Green. Garland Green. Lovable, the Garland lovable Green. eater of people. It's the Garland Green cue. <laughs> Recycle. Like, I mean, I well, mean, it, it's, it is. Because like, we were talking about that with um, Crimson Tide. He's the same composer as um, uh, Speed. Hmm. Or was it Crimson Tide, Patrick? Or... Um, yeah, it was Crimson Tide. Yeah, it was Crimson Tide. The do, do, and do, 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 do. yeah, yeah, same, yep. and it's the same exact. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I I actually debated about having that as my entrance music today. <laughs> I was like, what if I just did the speed? Like, <laughs> it, I was like, I don't think guy, it would really and, connect, but now I realize it would. And as we discussed last week, the guy who um, oh, part it wasn't Crimson Tide. Pardon me, it was Bad Boys and Speed of the same exact music cue. Right, I'm confusing right, right. this. Bad Boys and Speed. Yeah, so the same guy did um, Bad Boys and Speed, and they have very similar, but the same guy came from the Hans Zimmer Academy shop. of the Hans Zimmer shop in Santa Monica. <laughs> and uh, so it all really is. Um, it's all from the same blender of like basically <laughs> synths and lead guitar. <laughs> ten guys in Hollywood. Is ten guys and as we know there are only ten people in Hollywood. But at the same time, Hans Zimmer, like he did define that '90s sound. That's what '90s big budget blockbuster action movies sound like. Is what he created. So you got to hand it to him. And I like. I mean, I love. Like we'll talk about with the Rock. The Rock score is awesome. The Rock score is so perfect. <laughs> and. Yeah, The Rock is so good. I cannot wait to talk about that one. What a great, uh, like, yeah, that's another movie with just great guys. Yeah, a lot yeah. of great guys in that movie. Tons of great guys. I was noticing, too, um, speaking of the soundtrack, they seem to spend a fortune on Rolling Stones songs. And Gil is, like, a big Stones fan because I noticed in his lair oh, there's weirdest. a bunch of, like, Mick Jagger pictures, too, which is bizarre. Never that's, really. Ex- that character thing never never explained or pans out at all no. yeah we just we deserve like a cameo from keith richards or mick jagger so just a <laughs> moment where well no gil gets up on like 
like at the end there's like a stone show and um Mick gets off stage and they're like Mick the stones are sh you're entering your third decade and stones are showing new signs of life what's changed well i just stopped caring mate and then the camera pans <laughs> over and gill's got like a scar across his eye it's <laughs> the last straw <laughs> and every british person in my they all say mate <laughs> i love that that would be great but the other part of the soundtrack that I think really sticks out that is utterly lame oh, is sucks. all of the, it's all of the nine inch nails that's on the soundtrack. Like well, the, the, the bad version of Closer. Yeah. The weirdest like character turn, which Patrick talked about it last time, I'm pretty sure. But <laughs> the bug on the wall. Yeah. Out of a Cronenberg movie. The bug is like it's insane. It's gigantic. Fake, it's such a fake bug. I was gonna ask Jen if she had any tips on how on what knife I should use to eliminate oversized <laughs> fake bugs. Gigantic fake bugs. Yeah, like this is like a Benicio del Toro in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas hallucination yes. insect. Like <laughs> And he's... then to cross cut it with the Hasidic man walking outside. <laughs> It's like, and Nine Inch Nails is is happening. It's like we have taken a very hard turn from that first thirty minutes. It's crazy, and I love um the other thing to note too. It is a, his sad divorced dad apartment. The uh, Adam Driver Adam Driver from uh, Marriage Story's apartment. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> is the guy who's serving him is the character actor Paul Herman, who is the guy who is his friend in Silver Linings Playbook, who keeps getting him to bet more. So that guy was a thorn in De Niro's side for many films. Yeah, whispers. Yeah, <laughs> he's very funny at this. He's very very funny at this one. I like his little brief scene where he <laughs> where he serves skill. I think it's good stuff. Use uh, your yeah. restroom. Ugh, and the, here. the Nine Inch Nails stuff though is it's just wild, and he keeps coming back to it. And that's where I get the like he saw the Fincher stuff and was like. Ooh, this stuff is this is cutting edge. <laughs> like, you gotta I dirty get, up this film. I got yeah, it's gonna get nasty. It's like, but then it's like, you know, you know what Seven hinges on? Yeah, Seven's like really, really, really well directed and got great performances. Seven has a really, really good script. <laughs> that makes really like <laughs> like a good idea. And followed through with a good idea, like all the way through. Yeah, yeah, characters that are like three-dimensional and less just a collection of quirks like yo like <laughs> he loves he loves knives well that's like the other thing loves it's rolling like, stones if you're gonna like focus on bobby so much you almost have to keep gill off screen more like mm -hmm. the, like like um spacey and seven or even Kiefer sutherland in phone booth which is a very rock solid thriller mm, of yeah, this but... ilk too um yeah it's a little too weighted towards gill yeah <laughs> But he is the fan. He, he's a titular True. fan. He's the yep, titular it's not fan. the baseball player. It's not the baseball player. So the film, as we mentioned, opened August 16th, 1996. The budget on the film was $55 million. Um, fairly tidy sum. <laughs> Especially in this day and age here, James. James Gray complaining about $20 million in 29 days for Armageddon time. It's like, man... There's 95 there handing money out a little bit more for this kind of stuff. Um, this movie only made 18.6 mil Oof. at the box office. Um, yeah, uh, flop. Straight up, this was a uh, 
out and out flop and uh there's not much more or less to it than that <laughs> like and everyone kind of walked away like kind of shrugged their shoulders and went on with their day in a sense on this one and i don't know if people have felt they had seen this before i think maybe they felt they'd seen it before from De Niro. right max katie was not that like was four years ago yeah i think that was like 90 90 91 so six years tops but i mean mm -hmm. taxi driver is still like rented all the time right at this point anyone who was 15 and wanted to get into movies was still renting taxi driver nonstop. um yeah so it's just i mean i think to the like obsessive fan the serial killer movie was you know whether it's Silence of the Lambs, whether it's Seven, down the line, it's seen a lot of these kind of psycho movies, and maybe maybe well, there was some. Yeah, it's interesting that you think that. Yeah, maybe Seven culturally, because it. I mean, Seven just also feels like such a high watermark for that genre. Yeah, yeah, and it remains so to this day. Right, and I think, and Seven was only the year before. Maybe right. seven was ninety five. Ninety five, good year, man. Casino seven, heat. Take it. Not bad. <laughs> not, not, not bad. bad. <laughs> good days. Um Rotten Tomatoes is garbage, but to note it is a uh, thirty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh a little rough, little rough. Critical consensus states. Tony Scott's visceral flash proves to be an ill fit for the fan and a queasy tale of obsession that succeeds at making audiences uncomfortable, but strikes out when it comes to delivering thrills. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's got thrills. I think it's got some thrills, man. When he reveals himself as the ump, you do not know where this damn movie's going next. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, well, you're ending in a knife fight in like torrential rain. The like, only they're... time anyone has ever dressed up as an ump to save the day was, of course, in The Naked Gun. So, right. different movie. We don't know what's going to happen here. <laughs> yeah. Man. We, yeah, when Gil, when Gil kills Coop, like, it's like, oh my God. And then you have that great, like, shot of him getting out of the Hummer to get. The sun, he's covered in blood in the baseball jersey, and I know that <laughs> the weird photos, the like the Polaroids where he's got the knife in his yeah, teeth, oh which God. should have been the poster. That should have been the poster for. Well, the <laughs> I do. You knew the movie was a little off the rails when uh, when you get to Coop, and Coop, he says, uh, he goes, same old Gil, and it cuts to the most classic Robert De Niro expression that you could ever get. Hmm. I've been a bad boy. <laughs> I, I, like, I like the idea that the coop's like this guy's a psycho, and he's been <laughs> psycho as long as I have known yeah, him. That's great. Yeah. I like moved to a different city. I didn't think he'd end up it's in like, San Francisco. It is heartbreaking when he goes. That was Little League. Yeah, he, Little League, and he's and he, yeah, he dies. And the other thing is too. He's like, I thought you'd be a pro, like you a pro manager by now. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I barely know you. <laughs> like, there'll be, a, but I mean, you think about it, like, Andrew, like, the guys who, like, like, the best guy on your team when you were in fifth grade. That's, that's what he's talking about. <laughs> like, they don't care about baseball anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. yeah. <laughs> they don't watch baseball, let alone play right. and be a part of it. <laughs> The the way that like Coop dies too is so br it is so insane that he like talks to Br Coop and is like Coop is my best friend and then he like bludgeons him to death. He like without even like 
thinking about it. Like, it's just, yeah, it's it's insane. Like, there's almost like, you almost wish you would say, look what you made me do, Coop! Or something like that would have been, like, a little nice touch. Like, you know, I didn't want to do this. I love you, Coop! You're yeah, my teammate! Tears, tears. He doesn't, he's like, he's over it. He's like, yeah, he's yeah, over it. He's done. done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like, Gil is, you know, yeah. gone. Gil's, <laughs> yeah, Gil's in Joker land. He's doing, he's doing yeah, crimes. It is a, uh, it's a unique film. I think that, um, yeah, it's ups and downs to it. <laughs> like, there's a lot to find fun and enjoyable in it. I don't think it's as, like, I would call, like, Seven a far more disturbing and unsettling movie. This isn't that, this is too, like, kind of cheesy and seedy to be that unsettling. <laughs> you know, in a way. I mean, if, you know, if, if this just popped up on cable, I I would totally watch it though. I would mm-hmm. I would have I would gladly like spend the rest of <laughs> whatever time was left to watch <laughs> the band. Yeah, it's um Yeah, I I'm tempted to say it's the weakest Tony movie we've watched thus far, but wow. simultaneously Tony's made really really good movies. So mm. you know, it's I think that it's still very entertaining, but it's like I've loved straight up loved every one of the ones we've watched before this mm-hmm. in this series. Um Patrick, you had taken a guess that Deja Vu and or the taking of Pelham one two three remakes could yeah. go could go lower than this one. I was thinking Deja Vu's. I, I remember watching that in theaters and just kind of being perplexed the whole time. Like, yeah, I, I watched it on video when it came out, but I don't remember a thing about it other than the fact Val Kilmer's in it, which has me excited. <laughs> yeah, hey, the return of Matt Craven. He's in Deja Vu. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's still a good cast. I haven't seen Spy Game in a long time, but I think that was pretty well, good. I always, liked, I always yeah. liked Spy Game. Yeah. So we have a lot of fun to come. The fan is still an enjoyable time. Watch them all, man. That's what we're saying to our audience. Watch every single Watch one of these. All. They're worthwhile. Yeah. There's there's one point that kind of stuck out to me where I was like, okay, this... <laughs> I was like, am I giving it too much credit? Uh, and I think I am. But the <laughs> um, it was at 54.22, if you want to look at it. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's when um, Primo is quote-unquote hot-dogging it and is actually doing well for the team in the montage. <laughs> They're playing the Gypsy Kings, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, But they cut to De Niro, and he's wearing the hammer pants. Oh, thank you, Andrew. This is a wonderful thing to remember. Like, why wasn't he wearing those hammer pants more often well, throughout the film? <laughs> like the Zubaz? <laughs> well, no, but his excuse when he's with bobby is that he had no clothes and so bobby gave him his clothes he's like oh these are bobby's pants i did i thought that happened um before the scene with bobby no primo primo's still alive not not at the beach when he gets bobby's clothes i don't know no so at the beach when he gets bobby's clothes primo is dead yes yeah but before that when primo's still alive and that hasn't happened he is wearing hammer pants at a baseball game. At like 50 oh, so yeah, I, yeah. I saw that. Yes, I just see that. <laughs> no, he was wearing... so he is 
wearing hammer pants outside of Bobby giving him those clothes. So he, he went into a store and bought those so pants. I was like, wait a minute. Why is Gil wearing these pants? He's seen 50-year-old man. He's seen Bobby wearing hammer pants in like interviews. Is that it? And he's trying to dress like Bobby? What I know. I have no idea why Gills. I mean, my my suspicion is that they shot all of the crowd stuff with De Niro on one day, and they were like, "Okay, just change it to yeah. you know a few different that's, wardrobes." Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, probably. And he was probably like, you know, they're not going to look at his pants. I mean, one of my favorites what I noticed is that after he kills Primo, he shows up wearing a blazer and he starts wearing <laughs> like. I'm like, oh, that's fun. That's a fun choice. I wish. Um, I wish he had pulled like a Bullworth. And started dressing like Wesley Snipes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like Wesley Snipes and uh, White Man Can't Jump, though. We went... Yeah, double tank tops, the bike cycles you know, hat. That would not have been bad if, I mean, from then, like, then on out, he dresses like Bobby Rayburn. Like, you what know, if he, like, fun. what if, like, there was an early scene, like, Bobby's out at, like, a club with John Leguizamo and they got girls around and everything like that. And De Niro, like, shows up trying to, like, be a cool guy in a club. And they like sit with them for bottle service. Like, what the fuck are you doing, man? See, that, that's what this movie needed a little. I think like a bit like he's yeah, like like, it, a, like Sandler in that scene with the fu- the future and uncut gems, ooh. where he's like goes to the club to chase her down, and he's like sticks out like a sore thumb, like, <laughs> something like that. God, sticks out that like a fifty year old man at a club. Yeah. yeah, well, that would be get very dirty, Grandpa. Too. I think he does stuff like that in Dirty Grandpa. Yeah, he needs to. We need a little more Dirty Grandpa in this movie. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, just that it, spice. But at the same time, like, I think Andrew, you really alluded to something cool earlier. Was um, Tony is trying things. He's building what became kind of the signature Tony psycho style, mm-hmm. if you from, will. I would argue from Enemy of the State forward. Mm-hmm. He's pretty locked in. Yeah. And he's building on it to that peak where people were like, you know, I remember reading articles initially in the early 2000s of people who are like watching Domino and watching Man on Fire and being like, yeah, he's up to something. It's really weird what he's up to, but he's really up to something here. He's taking his style to like its like furthest end point. And I think that there are um, initial offerings of that in the fan uh, kind of signs of things to come, but he's a, he's a consummate entertainer, and man, like still fun to rewatch. I enjoyed it. Nice, nice, yeah. nice, nice Friday night. <laughs> despite, it's a, it's a, despite the fact I continued to try and rewrite it as I was watching it. <laughs> you crack a beer, you watch. Uh, yeah, Gil slowly go insane. Well, slowly <laughs> at first, then very quickly. <laughs> it goes from three to ten. And uh, Andrew, we thank you. For joining us again, uh, you know, to to d- dive even deeper into the world of the fan, the fan again, when you're, <laughs> where you get to De Niro, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, we will, yeah, <laughs> yeah. bracket. When we, when we do the De Niro bracket, uh, what will, like, will that be the like? The, will that be like the psychopath <laughs> bracket, or like what would the four quadrants be? Well, the fan, Cape Fear, King of Comedy, Taxi Driver, Taxi Driver. Yeah, mm, yeah. there we go. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Rattle it up like a Gatling gun. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs>
<laughs> I know, I know Bobby. I know him. I know him well. All right, but that yeah, thank you, Andrew, again for joining us for this one. You're, all, I believe, you and our knife correspondent Jen Saunderson are going to be our only guests for the Scott Scott season. But we couldn't. The second we saw the fan on the schedule, we're like we got to get Andrew back. Yeah. You're, you're, are, you are the you are are the fan correspondent. The fan yes. correspondent, <laughs> baseball correspondent, fan I correspondent. I did not see that coming yeah. in my yeah. career. <laughs> All yeah. films. Um, do you have anything you want to promote slash plug? Um, yeah. Uh, Lost Angel, the genius of Judy Sill, the feature documentary. It's a uh, streaming. I don't know when this is coming out. For uh, uh, Tuesday. The rest. Okay, the rest of uh, Doc NYC, which I believe is until November twenty seventh. But there's going to be other opportunities to see it coming up um feature documentary about musician judy sill that i i was able to be one of the cinematographers on and yeah great film you did some 360 um 360 sped up uh film, did. frame rate shots throughout <laughs> in, the word, sure. <laughs> in the words of tony it's like i, la I laid track to go 180 degrees and then i had one long one wide one medium it's like I heard he that you... only always three camera yeah at least at least yeah at i heard you had the jersey cameras. uh turnpike shut down for like 40 hours so you can get yeah. like the perfect so light talk... when... to, to talk to some guy from grizzly bear so you can interview robert christ gow yeah. <laughs> oh yeah I, I can't wait to see it Andrew's told me about the doc for quite a while and a lot of interesting, fun people involved in it. And yeah. uh, hopefully we'll get a lot of people to rediscover some good music too. Yeah. The music's incredible and yeah. Great artists in it. Like, you know, Graham Nash and Jackson Brown, the fleet foxes. Yeah. That. That's going to be good stuff next week on the show. Mm. We dive in, we return to the older brother, Ridley Scott. Ooh, with the film G.I. Jane, oh. a film that neither of us has seen, as far as I know. And uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, I, if he goes back, and if he goes in, I'm in. Hey, Laline, another Andrew callback. <laughs> I love Laline. I mean, you were talking Vigo in uh, Crimson Tide. And how good he is. And, you know, um, a movie that uh, I don't know if you guys have seen, but talk about like an awesome just dudes who are good at their jobs movie is 13 lives i don't know if anyone oh, i haven't watched 13 lives yet with like three of the great oh. dudes going today and colin well, farrell joel edgerton and uh vigo yeah, perfectly, uh, understated just guys who are good at their jobs performances from colin farrell and vigo mortensen and then halfway through it joel edgerton shows up to be another one of those guys and it's like come on, <laughs> come to, a on. to a specific <laughs> set of filmmakers and audiences it's like this is exactly the kind of character <laughs> that i love watching I have to check I love that these out three guys yeah directed by little ronnie howard <laughs> yeah. no I, I i've heard uh not to get too far off the deep end but i've heard it's um like playing like gangbusters at like academy screenings and no oh, one's yeah. talking about it, but everybody's like, actually this movie's really good. <laughs> yes. Very He's, much I so. mean, Yeah. Howard has it Why, in him. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let's, let's not go too far down 13 lives. Yeah. But, but the the twist in it that it was based on the real story, I did not know about. And it's very worth watching. And it's like the stakes get very high in terms of the rescue. Oh, man. Well, check it out. Sounds good. Yeah. G.I. Jane, though, available on uh, to rent on all of your platforms and also available on the Showtime network. If you are a subscriber to Showtime, you can watch G.I. Jane. And the week after that, we conclude the first portion of the Visionary Alliance, Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer, as we talk about Michael Bay's masterpiece, The Rock. And well-deserving of a single film episode we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to the rock i imagine patrick the rock is currently streaming on amc plus anyone got amc plus it's out there it's a thing you can uh, watch the rock on there or you can rent it on all providers i'm going to dig deep into the collection i have the criterion dvd of the rock yeah and i'm going to be I'm going to be taking a look at some of Michael Bay's juicy special features that are on there to get us some backstory. We, we need to get back to Criterion having need. Well, I don't want it to be at that place where like, it's like, didn't they put like the rock and Armageddon in the collection? Cause they were like, okay, I, we need I, money. I own both of them. Oh no. Fuck yeah. They put them in the collection because they are prime examples. Cause Criterion is making an attempt to give a prime example of every single type of filmmaking. One of those types of filmmaking is balls-to-the-wall blockbuster action movies of the 90s. And what better examples to display the highest level of that style of filmmaking than The Rock and Armageddon? There we go. In the same vein that Tiny Furniture is a great display of mumblecore. (laughs) (laughs) Or uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer is a great example of transcendental cinema. Michael Bay belongs as well he is he is an auteur you might not agree with him but he is an auteur the the rock definitely belongs in the criterion <laughs> collection oh yeah. for sure no he rules he's good it's michael bay it's hacky. yeah yeah the beauty of michael bay is he is unapologetically michael bay for better or worse <laughs> there, he is uncompromisingly michael bay We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. Thank you again, Andrew, for joining us on the show here. If you are like really, really into the fan, or if you have like some really strong rewrite opinions on the fan, you can contact us at the Academy Academy podcast at gmail.com. Or, you know, if it still exists on Tuesday on Twitter at the Academy uh, handle, uh, yes, we're going to, we're going down, we're going down with the ship. So we'll be there. Oh, sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll Twitter out, uh, out, uh, outlive that uh, giant head of lettuce. That is, uh, there's like, have you seen that Twitter account that has like, they're posting a head of lettuce every day? And it's like, will the, will the head of lettuce survive longer than Twitter? Will this wilt before Twitter falls down? I don't know. I'm I'm team lettuce. I want to see. We're, we're going to be playing Nearer My God as the ship goes down. You know, we are not Billy Zane. We are not getting on the boat with the women and the children. Oh, hell no. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, we're going down with the captain. Yeah, I'm not I'm not joining. Yeah, I'm not trying to get into mass sneaking to Mastodon with my child. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to hold up a fake child to get into Mastodon. <laughs> I have an Instagram handle. 
I gotta get off this social media platform. Oh god, oh man. <laughs> yeah, this is like a Japanese horror movie. If you die in the social media platform, you die in the real world. Yeah. <laughs> That's not too far off. Okay. For Patrick, for Andrew, for Jen, I'm Don. It's been the Academy Academy. We'll see y'all next week. Bye-bye.